The scripture for today is two in chapters in Proverbs, chapter 31 and 28. You can find the first one on page 983 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to follow along. Proverbs 31, 10 through 18. A wife of noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Then page 978, 28, 19 through 20. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Thanks, Sharon. How are you guys doing at High Point? Good. It's, it's good to see you. I've been... Uh, Starting to notice my uh, that have you, have you noticed if you're an early riser it, it used to be at five o'clock uh, the, the sunshine is beaming in the windows and it's kind of waking you up now it's like 530 right so that the day the sunlight is starting later and then it's like 830 815 in terms of, of, of sundown you know days are starting to get a little shorter uh, won't be long the Badgers will be on the football field you know seasons changing um, we are uh, in the midst of a series on, uh, on Proverbs, on, on wisdom. And uh, Proverbs happens to be one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, uh, I especially like to use it to, to teach the boys. So I think this is fair. I think they'll agree with me that if, if there's any book that we've went through more than once, fair to say, Proverbs. And it's because I think it's, it, it's short, it's, it's sweet, it's clear, it's practical, and I can teach them about all the stuff that it's really hard to teach boys about, and girls too for that matter, uh, sex. Right? It's really hard to teach your kids about the proper way and, and how to deal with sex. But Proverbs, they get right in it. In the first two chapters, you're right in there, you know. And it's teaching you how to look for a woman of character versus one that's not of character. And then there's always these statements to talk about, listen to your father. I love that part. The most about it. Listen, listen to your father, right? And so we see this, this personification of, of Proverbs as either lady wisdom or like your father or your mother, right? And, and so that just helps. And I don't know, it doesn't really sink in, but I just have this illusion that it will work, right? But it's this, uh, it's practical things that I know every person, young or old, needs to master in order to, to have the abundant life. You know, the holistic life, uh, the life, what the Old Testament calls shalom, uh, this prosperity, justice, peace, 
that when we master wisdom, that that is the fruit of it. And so this is one of my uh, favorite books. And um, we're going to talk about uh, some, for some of us, one of our favorite subjects, how the connection between wealth and wisdom, wealth and wisdom. Uh, it's always an a, a diff- a, a interesting topic to talk about because you can, you can go into extremes one way or the other, and I hope to stay right on target with what the, with what the scripture teaches. Uh, Ron Bettenbau is the dad, and he's on the left. On the right is his son, Rick. In the 1970s, Ron, who's a bit of an entrepreneur, started as a home builder in West Texas. And he wasn't a home builder, but a, a buddy of his was a carpenter and said, hey, we ought to, the market is, is moving and we ought to buy this land and build a home. And he was like, uh, let's not, why not? Give it a try. And by his own testimony, he didn't even know how to use a hammer. But they, they started and the timing was good. A lot of people moving into the Amarillo, Texas and the surrounding communities and the business took, took off. So between 1970 and 1990, Ron built a fortune. He had over three and a half million of network, mostly in real estate property. He had a monthly income of 15,000 a month, and that was really stable. He was on top of the world. Backdrop on uh, Ron and Rick is that they were regular church members in attenders. Regular, knew Jesus. But what happened in 1991 is that there was a recession, and almost overnight, the value of his real estate plummeted. His bankers called in his loans. He lost his total business and lost his income. Meanwhile, his son, Rick, who had kind of saw, grew up with his dad, had started a little business making starter homes at high quality with another partner. And his business was starting to take off and he saw that his dad was down on his luck and on hard times. And he said to come on and join him, him in business. And when Ron and Rick got together, Ron said, you know, I'm reflecting back on what happened in my business. It wasn't all just that the market went south on me. He says, I had, I, the way I was leading my business is that my business was separate than my Christian faith. At work, I would come and serve, but I didn't even give profits. And none of the profits from the real estate business went into the church. And that he felt like it was all about growing more and more and spending it on himself and his power and prestige. And, and there was no difference by his own testimony of how he did business with his employees and his vendors, his suppliers, than anybody else. And he recognized that that was a huge mistake for someone who knew Jesus and knew better. And so as, the, as he went into this business with his son and he started growing 11 houses one year, 53 houses, he said to his son, 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 we got to do this differently. Let's set aside some profits and let's give these monies to nonprofits here in, in Texas. Uh, there's some things that, that I see going on in Africa with orphanages in Brazil and Czech Republic. Let's, let's give some of this money away. And so they established a, four, a 501c3, used the elders at their church to manage the money for them. And then after a few years, he said, I, I kind of see the same thing happening. I feel like I'm dichotomizing our business, that we kind of are doing our church thing over here with the money, but it's not really impacting our business. Let's bring it into our business. Let's, let's have our board manage the resources. And let's share our profits with our employees. So up until this point of time, mid-90s, Ron and Rick, the father and son, owned the whole business. They decided that they were going to share ownership with all the employees. 
And so now between the two of them, they got less than 30% of the business. And they said, uh, with this ministry, now we're going to see our business as a ministry. We're going to start paying attention to birthdays of our employees. We're going to start paying attention to when children are born. We're going to start celebrating. We're going to do these, assign these missions trips, and we're going to say, if you want to go on a missions trip with your family, we'll pay for the whole family to go. And what happened is between 1995 and 2010, they grew from a real tiny kind of western uh, uh, Texas builder to one of the top 100 builders in the, in the country, and they grew, they gave $22 million to various n- n- local and international uh, charities. And their biggest thing, though, their biggest thing, testament, is that they saw their employees get transformed. They were now owners, and some of them even gave their lives to Christ based upon how the business was being led. What they learned is the principle that we all need to learn, is that wisdom will be a blessing to your finances. Wisdom will be a blessing to your finances. Now, we've defined wisdom as prudence and discernment and decision-making and courage and, and discipline and action. So it's understanding what is right and good and fair, and it it comes not from your own just thinking it out. It comes from receiving the Word of God. Its source is the Word of God. Its source is God Himself. And that's why the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. In other words, you recognizing that Jehovah, the self-sufficient God, the self-sustaining God, is God and that you are his creation and having trusting in this God who loves you who is God and desires for us to serve him that that is the very foundation for wisdom and that trust and obedience to God's word is the essence of what wisdom is it's it's the very beginning Once we we know that we're servant and that he's God, once you recognize that there is one God and it's the God of of Scripture, then you can begin to then soak in the truths and the righteousness and the words and the instruction from Proverbs and also from the whole entire Bible. Now, wisdom all over Proverbs is promised to be a blessing to your finances. 3.13 says this, that's Proverbs 3.13. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Long life is in her right hand, wisdom being personified as a woman. In her left hand are riches and honor. Long life, the idea that this, I'll talk about this in a minute, the difference between a principle and a promise. The idea is that generally true is that when you apply the wisdom of Proverbs to your life, all else equal, you will live a long life. All else equal, you will have, you will earn respect and honor. All else equal, your finances will be higher than they would have been without it. Wisdom will be a blessing to your finance. Uh, Proverbs 28, 19. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of plenty. That is to say, you know, dreams are fine, but better to have Uh, to make an investment and get to work. Better to choose a job and get going, is what he's saying. Dreams are great, especially when you put some investment in and work towards the dream. 28 and 20, a faithful person will be richly blessed, 
but one who is eager to get rich will not go unpunished. The idea is that you, money is to be earned little by little, day by day, working hard, and not through get-rich schemes. And so what we want to recognize with the Proverbs is that what we're studying now are principles, not promises. So the things that I'm talking about, long life and riches and honor, are the principles, they're generally true, not guarantees. Now, I know this myself because of a friend of mine, James Gray. James is one of the most, he died two weeks ago, one of the wisest men I ever met. Uh, married to his wife of Cheryl for 30 years. Member of his local church and head of the deacons for 23 years. Started as an auto mechanic in Waukegan and very faithful, uh, got the highest levels of standards and honors for the, for the, uh, the dealership he worked for in, within GM. On his breaks would spend his time sharing Christ with his coworkers. At his funeral, two of the five men who spoke on his behalf were people he led to, to Christ, who gave the testimony of how on his breaks he prayed with them and, and, and talked, shared Jesus with them. Over the course of his career, he had a mechanics uh, credentials but no college degree. Over the course of working 20 years, he earned uh, undergraduate and a graduate degree. Switched careers from, from being an auto mechanic to teaching auto mechanics. Raised two godly children, one who's a lawyer in Atlanta, another a swim coach in the Gurney area, both that know the Lord. At his funeral, they, had to, they knew so many people were going to come. This auto mechanic, junior college instructor. They had a thousand people at his wake. Uh, his wife, Cheryl, and his two kids, Jimmy and Jamie, were standing. They greeted people for two and a half, three hours as they poured in to remember James and his love for people. The next day at his funeral, I happened to be one of the ministers that was officiating. Another 600 people, basically standing room only, to hear, to, to, to honor this, this great man. Now here's the thing. He had an excellent reputation with people. Honor. People love James. That's why so many came, people came from all over, from all walks of his life. People came to honor this man, James. Financially, he was fine. His kids, jobs, uh, good house. Uh, he had more than he could, could spend. Enough, more than enough riches. But he lived to be 54. And average life expectancy for a, a man in the U.S. is 79. Across the world, the average life expectancy is about seven. Long life. So with Proverbs, what we have to recognize is these are general truths, not guarantees. That's the first thing you need to understand. So I want to talk about two things this morning as relates to wisdom and finances. Wisdom itself is far superior to wealth. That's the first thing I want to talk to you about. And second thing is, we should earn our livelihood through honest and earnest means. It matters to God how you go about making your money. It matters a great deal to him because it reflects where your real heart is. Those are the things I want to talk about today. So wisdom is far superior to wealth. One of our uh, series, we talked about seek wisdom and flee folly. I think that was, might have been the first or second uh, in, this, in this series. 
And then, so seek wisdom versus seeking cash. Now I'm going to tell you something. Especially the first 15 years of my working career, at least 15 years, I would have been like, why do you got to choose? Why can't you just take all wisdom and the cash? I just, you know what I mean? Why can't you just choose? Because a couple things. One, I was raised in, in relative poverty, relative poverty, and had a good education, was taught at schools that really believed in profit maximization, both for the enterprise and for your individual pocket. Was trained at Kellogg MBA, and those MBA students, even to this day, are profit maximizers. That, so that my training was to, to, to look for, to increase wealth. And so I'm like, so first 15 years of my life, even though I am a Christian and I am in church, there's, this, there's a tension, there's a serious tension going on about how I'm going about governing my life. This kind of tension that has you looking over your shoulder for, net, for what's more. The kind of tension, we, well, my wife and I bought a starter house uh, about five years into our marriage. Nice, nice little house in Westchester. Problem was, problem was all my buddies at the same job were starting to buy big, nice, 3,500 square foot homes. And I got to be thinking, man, I, need, I, sh- I should have one of those. This tension, this tension between the love of money, which can, can, can be a serious idol, which can have you lose perspective on what is really good and true in life, can have you working 60 and 65 hours, barely seeing your children as you chase the dollar. That's the challenge of money. Mark 8 and 6, Jesus, this is what Jesus says. What good is it for someone to gain the world yet yet forfeit their soul? Jesus always had the perspective that money was a secondary concern. Jesus always put people and our real spiritual needs ahead of money. He always put family ahead of money. He always put friends ahead of money. He always put neighbors ahead of money. He always put character ahead of money because he knew that that was lasting. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 6, that all of the money things, all of the food and the clothing and so forth, he'll take care of if you will seek him first. He said, I'll take care of the money if you invest yourself in real riches, if you invest yourself in real valuable things, things that will edify your soul, I will take care of your money. So wisdom benefits the whole mind, man, mind, body, soul. Wisdom has the power to bring its recipients righteousness, not only the imputed righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, the fact that he is perfectly holy and we are not, but also the ability to grow in holiness as we grow in the discipline of obedience. That wisdom is, allows us to be like Jesus. It allows us to have, to, to grow this character of my friend James, who could die at 54 with tremendous grace, with more friends at the end than he had at the, at the beginning. Righteousness, peace. I like there's this one verse. It says this, it's in Proverbs. It says, uh, uh, an inheritance, houses, and cash is from fathers. But it says a godly wife is from the Lord. I can tell you that that's really true. 
I, I I will take my wife over any sum of money. I'll take the relationships, good, solid, loving relationships. What happens is, as you get older, you, don't you begin to see how rare a great relationship is? How much money will you trade your best relationships for? How replaceable are the, are the most intimate friends that you have in your life? My experience are, is that they're not replaceable. Peace and joy in God is what wisdom gives you. It brings that to you now and into eternity. But money doesn't have that kind of power. It doesn't have that kind of impact. It buys us things, but not internal peace. Can't buy us love. It might get us respect for a moment until the money goes, but it won't really buy us love. Luke 12, 15, Jesus went on to say, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. How many of you feel like you still have to remind yourself of this lesson? Be honest, be honest. This is a lesson that we need to remind ourselves that the things that we can acquire through our wealth aren't the most important things. Proverbs tells us what is most important. Blessed are those who find wisdom, who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, yields better returns than gold, she is more precious than rubies, nothing you can desire can compare to her. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can desire can, can compare to her. You see, wisdom that we receive through God's revelation to us, through accepting him in faith and trusting him, through repenting for, from our sins, through remembering that Jesus is the savior of the world, through embracing his word, the wisdom that we receive from the, from the word of God is the whole thing. It, it blesses the whole man, mind, body, and soul. It's, it's for every area of your life. But personal economics, how I work and how I manage my finances is just chapter 20. You have the whole book of wisdom and knowledge that, that you need to master, and personal economics is just chapter 20. It's one aspect. Because here's what is better than money. It's, it's virtue. Proverbs 3 and 5 says this, 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So what's better than money? Faith in God. Faith in the one who created you and the one who sustains all creation, the one who has given you whatever wealth you have, the one who sustains your work. One of the things that I learned very quickly in my 30s, I got to begin to see how tenuous uh, even having a, a good job was that even through all my preparation and, and all the skill I tried to accomplish, jobs could vanish. And companies where you worked could be there tomorrow and gone the next day. And you might spend six months or, or, or a year even trying to find comparable wages. Money is transitory. So we need to invest our things, ourselves in things that are not transitory like God's promise. His promise 
to keep and sustain you as you seek him first. Trust. Proverbs eleven fourteen. 14. Wealth is worthless in, in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Proverbs 12 and 28. In the way of righteousness, there is life along the path, that path that is immorality. And so what he's saying here is that real practical righteousness that comes from understanding, from 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 knowing and from doing properly that allows us to become more like Christ, that that is more important than wealth. Another another thing we need to, to know about wealth as we pivot from why wisdom is better than wealth, we need to recognize that we are simply as human beings, we are stewards over our jobs, our bodies, and our finances. We're just simply stewards. Because in chapter one of Genesis, around verse 27, God appoints us to be rulers over his creation. Then in chapter two, he says we ought to work the garden with our hands. And he makes the appointment and he expects the return. And so it might be your job, but it really is Christ's life. And so, so we're accountable to God in how we order, how we use our lives, how we work, how we manage our finances. And since we are accountable to God, he expects us to handle money like he handles money and how he handles anything. He expects us to go about handling money with integrity, honesty, and with an earnest. It matters how we make money. Honest labor leads to sure income, but money which is gained in an ungodly way will bring about our own misery. So I come from Chicago in the inner city. And here's one of the things that I just have seen about urban crime. And uh, when you have a community, high unemployment, where there's temptations to live a criminal life as opposed to, to living by honest uh, employment, there are some consequences that come to people that choose uh, kind of the short way of life compared to the ones who don't. And so in the same neighborhood, you'll have kids that just go to school and make their way up slowly, th that live and have long lives. In the same neighborhood, their friends will choose a different life. And if you talk to those who choose kind of a criminal uh, life in Chicagoland, they know as they're doing it, they know that their lives are going to be shorter. They, they know it, they feel like there's, they don't have an option, but there's, there's, there's consequences. And so the way in which we go about earning money, the, if you are a, a, at work and you are a mean kind of vicious individual, ruthless in terms of how you handle business, uh, your, your likelihood of having longevity at the job is a lot less. It might seem like things are going your way initially, but God has ordered the world providentially in such a way that if you do evil to earn your wealth, it'll bring you misery. If you, if you look long enough, my experience is this, if you look long enough at the wicked, whether they are in poverty or whether they are Affluent, if you look long enough at the wicked, you'll see over time 
The principle is that they will get their due, which isn't lasting peace and prosperity. It matters. Hard labor leads to sure income, but money which is gained in an ungodly way will bring about our own misery. And Proverbs has a lot to say about this. 1611, honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are his making. Proverbs 21.5, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. It's like you just can't hold on to it. You steal something thinking it's going to give you pleasure. You earn money through dishonesty. You really just can't keep it. It doesn't multiply. Proverbs 20 and 17, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouthful of gravel. 29 and 4, by justice a king gives the country stability, but those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. One of the reasons why uh, I think it's interesting when we hear about dictators in the world and so forth, we just need to keep our eyes and look at the end. When, when there's clear wickedness, just keep your eyes on the end and see, see what, how God deals with wickedness in the end. And I think in most, and more often than not, we'll see that there's just desserts at the end. So Abukan Awasika, she is a Nigerian woman. She um, grew up in Nigeria as a young woman, uh, educated in private schools, started out as a, as a Muslim. Through her education uh, and student friends, she came to know Jesus Christ. Uh, went to MBA school in Nigeria and uh, went to work at, at a furniture, an office furniture store and started uh, being a showroom salesperson. Now, in, in her nation, uh, there's a reputation for not doing business uh, in unethical ways and also interacting with the, with the government. And so, it, it, not uncommon to be backroom deals and shadiness, not uncommon. And so, as she was 25 and thinking that she would start a business, she made herself two promises. She said, I'm never going to pay a bribe to get business, and I'm never going to sleep with a man to get business. This is the context in which she's working. So she makes these decisions. She starts this small business, and slowly but surely, she starts at age 25, she starts to build a good, solid business. Uh, until 2004, when her country decides that they were going to stop the importation of, of office furniture from Europe. So they, they shut it down cold, and 70% of her business was furniture that she imported and then sold in her country. And she was like, I'm in deep trouble. So here's how she could get out of it. She could just do what most people would do, or many, many people in her, in her country would do, bribe the officials. She could just bribe, and she could get her goods in. She was like, that's not an option for me. I'm a godly woman, a leader at the church. That's not an option. What other things can I do? And she said, man, maybe what I can do is build an office, a state-of-the-art office furniture manufacturing plant here in Nigeria. And so she went to her partners in, in Europe, and a couple of them said no, and but she ran into a firm in, in France that said, you know what? We think there's a little bit of opportunity in this. You're going to put up all the capital or most of the capital. Okay, we'll, we'll train you and we'll give you, you know, you buy the equipment from us and so forth. And they start and they see in six months there's promise, and they had a small stake, 2%. After six months, they wanted 25% stake in it. They saw this thing was going to work. So her business went. Uh, she lost 70% of her business at first. She recouped all of the business in two years, and then she, she now is the number one office furniture store uh, manufacturer in her country. In addition to that, she is the chairwoman for the largest bank in Nigeria, First Bank of Nigeria. 
And the reason they chose her for the, to be the chairwoman of the largest bank is because of her uncompromising integrity in how she goes about her affairs. So this woman is considered to be one of the top four or five business leaders in her nation. And it's all because she knows Jesus and chose to follow his ways. Honesty makes a huge difference in how we go about making our money. Second thing, first one is honesty, how we go about making our money. Now we're going to talk about other, other aspects. The other part of this is hard work. Hard work brings financial reward, but laziness leads to poverty. One of the things that when I was young, growing up in my mom's house, I lived in a three-story apartment building on the west side of town. And uh, it wasn't the kind of building where the landlord did a whole lot of maintenance. And so the back stairs that we would take to walk out to drop garbage, occasionally they would just get so filthy from use that, that somebody needed to clean it. And the somebody was me and my brothers. And so now there were six families that were in this building, but me and my brothers were the ones responsible for all this. And this is what she would say, this is what my mom would say. He said, y'all, it's summertime. You might have a little bit of a job, but you, got, you need stuff to do anyway. Go and wash the stairs down. And we'd be crying, oh, mom, go and wash the stairs down. And she was trying to teach us responsibility for others and diligence. I didn't realize it at the time. So now my kids, they complain because their mom, they, they compare themselves to the other friends from school. And she's got them vacuuming and washing clothes and all, ironing and all this, doing dishes. I, re I talked to Deborah the other day. This is funny. She's going to get me up for this one. Uh, I was using the vacuum cleaner, and I, was, I, was, I had a problem with it. And I said, honey, how do, how do I fix this? And she said, she looked at me, she said, Lloyd, I don't use that vacuum cleaner. That's the, that was the boys. They got the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> true story, true story. Uh, diligence. We, we, we need to embrace diligence for our, ourselves. How to work hard and honestly, not overwork, but how to consistently work hard. And we want to teach that value to our children. Uh, my, my kids won't like this, but my wife and I have talked about this a little bit. And one of the areas where we felt like we should have been tougher was making sure at young ages that they had jobs. Both of us have been working for money at around, outside of the home, at about 13, 14, 15, all the way through high school. And we kind of let our oldest son slip through high school, but the youngest one didn't get there. He didn't get that far. So we got him, this summer he worked his first internship. And he got to get up in the morning and get to work by what, 8, 8.30? And then work till 3.30 for three weeks straight. At the end of that time, it was like $500. He's like, that's all, 500 measly dollars, yeah. Yeah, you got to work real hard to get that 500. I hope you kept some of that money. That's the next lesson, all right? That's, that's next sermon. <laughs> we need to instill a work ethic in our a child. I, I believe that instilling a work ethic in our children is more important than giving them money. I grew up thinking, because I was raised in poverty, that I wanted to give my kids opportunities and so forth, things that cost money that money can buy. And I realized as I was going through that there was something better. I realized that character, honesty, working hard, diligence, faithfulness, giving them that is better. I'm telling you the truth. Hard work brings financial reward, but laziness leads to poverty. 
We should earn our livelihood through honest and earnest means, Proverbs says. Lazy hands, 10, 4, and 5, make for poverty, but diligence hands brings wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. 12 and 1, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Um, one of the things, and um, this current generation of 20-somethings, one of the things I love about them is that they think big and they, re they, they realize possibilities. One of the things I would like to change a little bit is I would like to, to, if they could hear a little bit of wisdom from my generation, which would be something like this. Go ahead and choose and get started. Choose something. Uh, I started out working as an auditor out of, out of college uh, at, a, at a bank in, in Chicago. Hated it, hated it. It was a job, I needed one, hated it. A little bit later, a year or two later, I became a financial analyst at the same bank. Hated it, a little less, but hated it. <laughs> then, about five or six years into, into uh, um, working, six or, uh, went and got an MBA at school. I still like business. I, I liked the kind of people I was around. It energized me, so I, I, I felt good about business, but I knew I just wasn't, for whatever reason, I wasn't using my skills. I took a job at American Family Insurance as an agent. Not a high prestige job for a Kellogg MBA to take, not a high prestige job. But I hated my banking job so much. And as I talked to these agents at different companies, American Family State Farm, they were enjoying their freedom and entrepreneurship so much, I felt like that might be the answer. Loved it. I made half the money. I loved it. I loved the selling. I loved the relationships. I loved uh, the, seeing a business, taking it from nowhere and growing it up. It was awesome. I did really well. They promoted me in, in two and a half years to the next level. And then I found out I loved helping other business people start and grow their businesses. I loved it even more of them. I even love it now when some of them are becoming directors. So I, I just say that you got to get started. I didn't know I was going to like sales and leadership. No, nothing in me would have told me that would have been my track, my path. Had to get started and didn't like it and shifted gears. So don't worry if, if it's the first job isn't the perfect job. This would be the wisdom from Lloyd. Take it or leave it. Don't worry that it's not the perfect job. Get started, work hard, and shift. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Genesis 2.15, God put us in the garden, and he said, work it. And all kinds of labor, all of it brings honor to God. If, if the attitude with which you do your job is this attitude in Colossians 3.23, it's a recognition that it is a, a worship, full-time worship to God. If this is the attitude with which you do your work, any honest job lends to dignity and honor for yourself. Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. One of the greatest things, highest compliments I ever received by somebody at High Point wasn't even for me. Uh, it was one of our members said, you know, I, I saw your son over working at COPS. Uh, he works at COPS in Middleton. And, you know, he does good work. So I said, he does good work. I was like, that's good. I, I, that, that, that's important. That, that, that meant more to me 
than any uh, amens in a sermon. The fact that my son was working hard and, and doing well in, out, in, 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 a, in, in a, a basic kind of job, just doing it well, that, that was a compliment to me. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. All labor has dignity. Next point, so we need to be honest in our work. We need to be diligent in our work. We need to work at it hard. And we need to be faithful in our work. Proverbs 28 and 20, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 13, 11, this honest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. That little by little principle is hugely important. Um, at High Point, church, we have uh, the staff. We have many, uh, all the staff, diligent, hardworking people. But there's one person at the staff that just encourages me by the way she goes about her work more than any other. And it's, it's Jean Collins. What I appreciate about Jean is that she just makes everything go. And, and she's kind of like the light. She has the lights on. She gets the bills paid. She'll remind you of things that, that you, you don't want to not pay attention to. She'll needle you on certain things when you're not maybe doing what you need to do. And, and not only that, she's got a, just this strong prayer ministry. So she's like this administrator, kind of accountant, kind of HR, kind of uh, 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 all, all uh, utility player in the office. And then she's got this prayer ministry too. So if you, wanna, if you need somebody to pray, my wife will say sometimes, she'll be like, man, I need somebody that can get a prayer through. Well, Jean is that kind of person. Faithful, faithful to the task, faithful to the church, faithful to Pastor Nick, faithful to the rest of the staff, faithful to the church. One of the things I've learned over working for 30 years is that even if you're not all that super skilled, if you're faithful, people will have a hard time getting rid of you. Yeah, I know that it's not that great. The work is not that great, but you can count. You can really count on them. Faithfulness is an outstanding quality to have. Last thing in terms of how we go about our work, I talked about honesty, and I've talked about diligence, and I've talked about faithfulness. Last thing I want to talk about is excellence or skillfulness. Proverbs 29, 22, 29. Do you see someone skilled at their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. So uh, Pastor Nick uh, took all of the staff this uh, Thursday and Friday to the Willow Creek Global Leadership Conference. One of the speakers, and this is an attempt to bring together workplace people and Christian leaders to, to develop their leadership skills. One of the speakers was this guy, Travis Bradbury, who's written this best-selling book called um, uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, a national best-selling list, Times, you know, all the book lists, he's on it. And um, this is what emotional intelligence is. This is the definition. Your ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself and others, and your ability to use this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships. Uh, he is a, a clinical psychologist, an organizational psychologist, and one of the things he's concluded by his studies is that 
90% of people who are considered high performers in any work environment, whether they're a pilot or a janitor, 90% of the, the success of those people have high emotional intelligence. And across all jobs, as they've studied this, across all jobs, it accounts for, for 60% of all the, the things that are happening in a job. Emotional intelligence is needed for 60% of the things that need to be done. This is an important thing. Now, guess what the book of Proverbs is all about? It's all about teaching wisdom and discernment and prudence and how to use that in every an ordinary everyday life. So that if we want to become more emotionally intelligent, we need to become masters of our Bibles. And, and Proverbs is a wonderful place to start. That we can become more emotionally intelligent, more skillful in our interactions with people, which will make us more effective in how we work. Emotional intelligence is comprised of four areas. Self-awareness, how, how I'm doing emotionally. Self-management, how not to uh, blow up or, or act inappropriately when, when I'm under stress. Self-management. Social awareness, the things that are going on around me, reading people around me, and relationship management. Oh, I missed one slide. That's all right. As you study the Proverbs, you will find, you will see things like when to speak and how to speak so that you are heard. There'll be practical advice about when you eat with leaders, when you have a business meal, how you oughtn't eat too much. There'll be practical, everyday, ordinary things about how we are to relate with each other kindly. Practical things about how we need to be the kind of people that receive correction. That, that love correction so that, we can, so that we can excel in our skills. Practical things like how we need to look at a situation. There's this one, one of my favorite verses. I want to say it's chapter 28 of Proverbs. It says that I looked upon a situation and I considered in my heart. And he goes on to say that he looked at the field of, that had become overgrown and unproductive. And he considers as, as he looks at the experience of one of his neighbors, and how worthless it is to be, to be lazy and not to pay attention to the assets that you have underneath your feet and to not utilize them and how foolish that was. Just by looking upon the situation, he was aware of things. So this is the kind of knowledge and wisdom that we've been talking about in the book of Proverbs that we will continue to talk about. So here's what we said thus far. We've said that wisdom will be a blessing to your finances. We've said that wisdom is far superior to wealth, that in a, in a holistic life, wisdom, uh, wealth is just chapter 20. But righteousness and peace and joy and positive relationships and, and the things that enrich our souls, much more important, and financial stuff is right here, chapter 20. And then we said that it matters how we go about earning our money that it needs to be done with honesty and, and diligence and faithfulness and skillfulness, that it matters to God how we go about making money. And I want to wrap up with a discussion of a woman whose life embodies everything I've been talking about. Her name is Osceola 
McCarty. Um, Osceola was born in 1908 and died at age 91. And um, at the age of, uh, at sixth grade, when she was in sixth grade, um, her, her father had passed and left a little small house in, in rural uh, Mississippi uh, to, to, uh, to her mom. Her mom had a disability, and so the practical needs were met by an aunt. And her aunt kind of took ill, so in sixth grade, Hattie had to stop going to school, and she had to start working. And she was a, a, a uneducated in rural Mississippi in, you know, 1920. Not a lot of career options. She became a washerwoman. Here's what she said about her work. She says this, I started each day on my knees saying the Lord's Prayer. Then I got busy about my work. Ms. McCarty told one interviewer, you have to accept God the best way you know how, and then he'll show, you him, he'll, he'll show himself to you. And the more you serve him, the more you'll be able to serve him. She was a washerwoman. I would go outside and start a fire under my wash pot. Then I would soak, wash, boil a bundle of clothes. Then I would rub them, wrench them, rub them again, starch them, hang them on the line, after I had all of the, the clean clothes on the line, I would start on the next batch. I'd wash all day, and in the evening, I'd iron until 11 o'clock. Starting at six or seven, going to 11 o'clock. Here's where her punnet, I loved it. The, the bright fire, wrenching the wet cloth, clean, white shirts shining on the line. The extraordinary work ethic, this organization comment, in the interviewer comments on her, pursued straight through to her retirement at age 86. She started at age 12, worked as a washerwoman to 86, into 1996, apparently produced results her customers appreciated. In 1996, Hattiesburg businessman Paul Laughlin wrote that I know one person who still has several shirts that were last cleaned almost two years ago by Ms. McCarty. He says that he does not intend to wear them. He just takes them out periodically to look at them and to enjoy the crisp fabric and the scent. McCarty, concludes Laughlin, was a walking object lesson that all work can be performed with dignity and infused with quality. Gets better. These sturdy habits ran together to produce McCarthy's final secret. When she retired in 1995, her hands painfully swollen from arthritis this washerwoman, who had been paid in little piles of coins and dollar bills her entire life, had $280,000 in the bank. Even more startling, she decided to give most of the money away, not as a, be a bequest after her death, but immediately. Setting aside just enough to live on, McCarty donated $150,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi to fund scholarships for worthy students, but needy students, seeking the education that she never had. When they found out what she had done, over 600 men and women in the Hattiesburg community and beyond made donations that more than tripled her original endowment. Today, the university presents several full tuition McCarty scholarships every year. She was honored by President Bill Clinton and a whole host of others. Started out in relative obscurity. Can you imagine getting fame at, you know, at late 80s of your life? Lastly, like a lot of philanthropists, 
Osceola McCarty knew that giving is its own pleasure. When a journalist from People Magazine asked her why she didn't spend the money she'd saved on herself, she answered with a smile that thanks to the pleasure that comes from making a gift, I am spending it on myself. So she had learned over the course of her life that it was better to give excellent service and, and at the end of her life to give away what she had accumulated to others than it was to receive. She had learned what Jesus said to us, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he is the big redeemer, but we are the little redeemers. We can, we can help bring joy and peace and help bring flourishing to other people in the ways that we work, in the ways that we give, in the ways that we serve. I am proud that I worked hard and that my money will help young people who worked hard to deserve it. These students that got qualified to go to University of Southern Mississippi. I'm proud that I'm leaving something positive in this world. And my only regret is I didn't have any more to give. So we have this wise woman who uh, invested her life uh, pouring into uh, her customers, making sure that they had clean clothes, and learning how to love hard labor, and living frugally, but being content in all that she had. And th that's wisdom. And that's what's better than, than money, our own materialistic objectives. Being a blessing to others by the way in which we work and what we do with our money, that's wisdom. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we uh, desire that you grow in each of us a great desire to understand what is good, what is true, and what is beautiful to do. With, with the time that you have given us, with the stewardship of life that you have provided us, Lord, we want to know what is worthwhile. And we see in you uh, the example of love of God and love of others. We see in you that a life of wisdom and a life of love and a life of self-sacrifice, a life of diligence and faithfulness is more important than some of the things that we have given our hearts to. So Father, we just pray that you would forgive us for our short shortcomings for the areas of life where we have been simple and foolish and Lord, we pray not wicked. We ask that you forgive us for that, and we ask that you just give us a greater desire for wisdom and for that which it brings, the character that it creates in us, the love and the faithfulness, the peace and the righteousness. Lord, that's what we desire. That's what we want. That's what we aspire to, to, from this series to build in us is a greater desire for what is worthwhile. So Lord, grant us that. Grant us that increased desire to love you 
and to love your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.